You're listening to Tiger's Eye, episode 24. yesterday. I must bring Hrawana down. I work my way inside the minds of many, many monkeys. Each one is driven by simple urges once again. Swing, eat, mate, fight. But as they are so numerous, I must juggle these. In the past, I would have attempted to deal with each beast in turn, jumping from one to the next like a plate-spinning performer. Now, I proceed with confidence, making every instinct a wave that the pack is borne up in. They share my interpretations of their feelings, rather than the other way around. Harau fights with blinding speed, and it gets harder and harder to aim the little hands at the demon on the back of this striped tornado as she hurtles around the jungle. I bite and punch at her, work at the armor fastenings. I can taste her blood. And when she cries out in pain, a thrill of satisfied fury rushes through me. I gather around her, ready to snatch away the pale one and dash its brains out against the stones on the nearby shore. Then she is holding her spears to her own throat, and I see true determination. This creature's spell over her is so powerful. I must separate them and talk with Rao, appeal to her reasoning will be the only way of shaking the demon from her fully so that we can dispatch it together. I break the link and allow the monkeys to disperse. Returning to my vacated flesh and laying back, I had not realized how utterly exhausted I was. My head pounds, my limbs ache, I feel tears in my mind from dividing myself so many times. Like any other wounds to the body, these need to heal much longer out there, and I would have been putting myself in severe danger of being unable to fully return. Yesterday's later, and I meet a pair of panther traders on the river road. I ask after a purple tiger hunter who might be hiding something. They are concerned and helpful, bestowing respect upon a cat of my stature. I spot a familiar armlet on the female and have to contain a surge of anger. It is Hrau's. Whatever she traded it for must have been worth the loss of this connection to her family. The male panther sees my expression and reflexively lays a paw in front of his partner. I reassure the pair with a wave that I'm not angry with them. They admit that they met and traded with her earlier today, heading north along the river road towards the abandoned city of Yamaya. Their fears never subside, but I wish them all the luck that Rama can bring on their journey. I am chained in the stalwart whale. Around me, cats are declaring allegiance to Hrau's crusade against the lions. I do not join in and shout, I want this honor, I want this honor. I want this honor. Even though I would gladly forfeit my life for my own people, 
This does not extend to every jaguar, cheetah, panther, and leopard stalking llama. In my silence, I observe others who remain separate from the clamor. We are threaded about the room, our eyes either glaring in indignation or fixed on the ceiling, unified in our disinclination to unite. This paradox confuses and angers me further. Whatever their reasons are, I cannot begin to give myself over to the baleful, demonic influence she is under. The poor deluded fool. I weep quietly for my wife over these nights and days. Amid the din, as the one with the mohawk and his companions throw her down, nobody sees me straining so hard at my bonds that I tear my fur into bloody gashes and nearly break my wrists. In a frenzy, I reach out into their minds, hoping in desperation to steer them away. But I have never practiced further on intelligent cats, obeying the word of Brass long after his departure. It is impossible for me to find purchase inside these lions. Their souls are closed and their blood is up. Nothing can deter them from this vile pursuit. And as Frau lies sobbing afterwards... I can only lie here uselessly, unable to console her. All I can do is focus my hatred into a pinpoint. We would not be in this dark hell without the intervention of the Pale Demon. He has brought this calamity down upon us. So when he walks down among us, adorned in the very mask I dreamed him in, I'm not certain whether I'm awake or not. He pauses before me, and I glare at him, awaiting my end. Feeling his claws pierce my side over and over, bringing with him the debilitating weakness and numbing cold. He passes and walks over to Hrau, freeing her from her shackles as she announces to the group words that tear into me. She actually believes this is her son. My Hraana is lost to madness. As the other cats are given freedom, mine is denied, for she knows my unflinching purpose. Then I lie alone, listening to the roars and violence above as the boat shudders. I let my mind drift to what is outside under the boiling waves. Focusing on my breathing and shutting away the rest of the souls on board, I slowly drift towards an immense life. It is gliding through the water, master of all it surveys. I wonder if I can get inside. I peel away the layers to reveal its puzzle, and am confronted with a nightmare of complexity. I had expected only two instincts. Swim. Eat. And those are indeed its overriding compulsions. To gain control, I'm looking at a labyrinth. I rush through the passageways, sometimes swimming, sometimes leaping out into space. I can sense Rao in the water ahead and feel the pain of many cuts to my body. As I fall through to the center, a bright yellow core of will turns before me, an incandescent globe I dare not touch. Only four shark left devour.
My thoughts are dominated by this. In the stillness of the moment, I suggest, not order, but suggest. I am hurt. Swim far away. The pulsing will presses back at me. No. Finish. I feel its fury. I share it. There is no time left. I respond by focusing on how weary I am. Tired. Wounded. Leave. Behind. The will grows bright and the great black force of nature descends, thrashing its tail slowly and carrying me down into the darker sea. It is quiet here, and lonely. I can rest, forget. I've always been swimming with her. In the stillness, dimly, dimly, I am aware that I may once have been a tiger, long ago and far away in another life. I must return to that world now, and be in that form once more. But I've forgotten the way. I hang in the deeps. High above me, near the sky, a tiny light is forming. I push up and ascend through the timbers until I'm nestled in my old body once more. <coughs> a pause patting me and I gasp awake, realizing that I had stopped breathing altogether. I draw in one long breath after the other, reeling from the pain both on the surface and far below. The very core of my being eludes me, and I have to push through the grinding pressure and tell myself the story of Haka in order to be certain of my place in this world. I find myself looking at a tiger with a tuft of black hair. He unlatches me and tells me shortly that they need healers up top. I follow him up the stairs, groggy and shaking, and crouch beside a lion healer who is administering strange medicines from her bag to a panther. It is the male trader I met on the river road. He is badly hurt, a deep stab wound in his side. Reflectively, I reach for my healing kit only to find it is... Of course, not there. Icy panic runs through me as I realize that without this simple bag that I take for granted every day, I'm next to useless in this situation. I pull across the lion healer's bag and stare at what is inside. Nothing corresponds with what I'm accustomed to. I barely know how to start. In response, the lioness gives me a piece of material to hold over the wound, but it is leaking crimson, and soon my paws are soaked. Too many of his organs have been pierced to do anything other than address his pain and ease his suffering. The panther glances up at me, fear in his eyes, and moans softly. The female trader crouches by his head, and they whisper through his panicked breaths. The lioness has already moved to another cat, I move with her and watch closely as she works with these complicated, sharp tools of hers. 
She shows me how to administer medicines to their veins while she sews up the wounds they have a chance of living through. I am relieved to be of some use, but grind my teeth in frustration that I cannot save more. The next time I look over, the traitor has passed on, and his partner stands looking out over the water, shaking in her grief. For a moment, I considered attempting to comfort her. But then Rao ascends to the upper deck with the pale demon beside her once again. I hold myself back from acknowledging her or pouncing upon him and keep my attention firmly on the task of preserving lives and easing pain. Through the conversation that follows, however, I'm unable to hold back my burning hatred for these lions. I long for the shores of my homeland and am certain they will never help us to return. But of course, nobody listens to me, and most gallingly of all, Hrau, who seems to have befriended this lioness healer, is somehow more inclined to trust our former captors. I even brave challenging Chief Shala, hoping my reined-in ferocity might crack through his determination to deliver us to the lion's homeland. He will have none of it. Neither will the other cats who follow him. In desperation, and in search of maybe my only potential ally on the gravest of matters, I attempt to speak with the panther shaman regarding Hrau's demon companion, ironically being forced to employ that ridiculous sign language she is teaching everyone. I rationalize that surely, of all people, this shaman will recognize that he is of our long-forgotten enemy. The panther is at least in agreement that this being is most likely from those ancient people, but refuses to take action against him. I clumsily sign what I hope will be understood as the end of our world, but he shakes his head and makes many complicated movements, none of which I understand. They culminate in indicating his eyes and then pointing at the demon. A needless warning, I am already watching him. However... Clearly, nobody but me will see the true danger of his presence here. I accept my fate and go inside myself, blocking out what occurs in the next few nights. The hunger and thirst, the weakness, the imprisonment, the many, many days of disputing between the lions babbling in their indecipherable language about what to do with us. The one called Matthews, along with Shira, the healer, attempt to learn many words and indeed signs of our languages. But I know the outcome, though nobody wishes to hear it. And when I learn of the execution in store, it comes as almost grim satisfaction. Of course we are to die. Nobody as naive as our little group could live in a world as hateful and selfish as the one these accursed golden monsters cultivate. Then, after the morning of our rescue, I sit, dazed, in the hold of another boat, thinking back on how I was brought here upon the currents. Through no action of my own, we are free once more, or at least as free as cats can be, in possession of the knowledge of the impending destruction of their own civilization. I learn that the families of lions sharing the boat with us are bound for what they call the New World. They leave behind the poverty they were trapped in by Albion, and they seek to colonize the shores of my land. I look into their eyes and see similar fears to those of my companions. 
Clearly, they were not much better off than we were back there. Though it was their choice to depart for a new life. And that choice will always separate slaves from free people. I hear them muttering about the savages, and how we will all, no doubt, murder them in their hammocks. Shala actually reaches out and tries to communicate with some of the more curious lion cubs. Personally, I cannot see why we should allow them all to live. Their presence in our world erodes our territories, and creates the beginning of a wave that will wash over our lands, consuming them on behalf of the lion. Captain Wessex tells us that the slave trade is already being overhauled. They're doing away with the idea of venturing inland to pluck cats from their homes themselves. Instead, they will trade with the more receptive tribes and ensure that their association is seen as an advantage, providing them with new weapons, clothing, tools, and materials, all to bring them closer to the lion way of life. Then they will bid them go hunt for other uninformed tribes and bring them back to the shores as slaves. It is, after all, their territory and a prime opportunity to be rid of some of their rivals for good. And so this process will go on, softly and slowly, until a greater area of land is loyal to Albion. Then their warships will come, bringing soldiers and weapons the like of which we will not be able to defend against. Once this occurs, the end of my people will be assured, for we have seen the extent of their mercy and understanding. Shala would unite the tribes, join forces, even with long-time enemies, to combat this and deter the occupancy of land and people. He actually believes this can be prevented. But I cast my mind back to the stone burial chamber and the words of my mentor. Change is going to come eventually, no matter how hard we fight it. So I will not fight it. I cannot. The odds are too monumental. I will stick to my one avowed task. That, at least, I can do. Prow and her creature will not see my glance, but my determination burns more fiercely than ever before. Whatever the influence of its powerful magics are, she is complicit in her delusion. She wishes to be in its thrall. She holds it to her like some twisted, deformed pretense of a cub, replacing that hole in her life that Carol left with this... this... thing... I cannot allow that affront to the Seven to continue any longer. Its appearance in our world is too timely to be coincidental. I can see this demon now as the harbinger of our doom. Whether today or tomorrow, the abomination will be destroyed, and I will set Rao free, one way or another. You have been listening to Tiger's Eye, written and edited by Alex Shaw. Haka, performed by Spencer Lieb. The main theme was Agent in Shanghai, composed by 1M1 Music of Shockwave Sound. Volatile Reaction and Past the Edge, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. <laughs>
Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Our special Patreon sponsors and contributors this month were Ian and Megan Hopwood, Joel Robinson, Russell Osborne, Nick Grugin, Mark Lush, David Garcia Abril, Maureen Foley, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Lorraine Chisham, Livio de la Cruz, Scott Cordzine, Dan Mayer, and Erish Travers. And you can buy, rate, and review Secret Rooms on the Kindle Store. See you next week for the grand finale of Tiger's Eye.